Father God, would you please take the water of my words and would you transform it into the new wine of your kingdom. Amen. Would you please be seated. There's the well-known story of the Irishman. I don't know why it's an Irishman, but it is. It fits very well. He had visited the Catholic shrine at Lourdes. He was going through the nothing-to-declare gate at customs when he was stopped and the official picked up a bottle he was taking through. What's this, said the official. Oh, said the man, that's a bottle of holy water from the Lord. The official looked at it and said, funny color, holy water. He opened the top and smelt. Funny smelling, holy water. He took a little sip and he said, funny tasting, holy water. It tastes like whiskey. And the Irishman looked at him and said, Ah, praise the Lord, another miracle. <laughs> Those who looked at our website, at our Facebook page, will be aware that the Archdeacon picked up on the fact that I'm preaching from the wrong text for today. Um, uh, there will be times, actually, when we don't use the lectionary, but on this occasion, I've actually simply switched Sundays because, of course, the story of Jesus turning water into wine is very appropriate for a service which includes the blessing of a marriage. It's a great story, and thank you to those who did make comments on our Facebook page. Yes, thank you. They were so helpful, it meant I had to rewrite the talk. <laughs> There's so much in the story that actually I'd love to revisit it maybe next week, but I don't think I will. But it's very significant, because John tells us that it's the first of the signs that Jesus did. And the fact that this happens at a wedding is important. It's not just an affirmation of the importance of marriage, as many of the early church fathers wrote about it. It's more than that. It happens, if you notice, on the third day. And what does that remind us of? The resurrection of Jesus. And John finishes the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, telling us about a wedding. Not any old wedding, but our wedding. Our real wedding. The wedding of the people of God made holy with the glorified eternal Son of God. Jesus is a guest here. He will be the bridegroom there. And at that wedding... It really will be the absolute best. But this is a sign because it also tells us about Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. This is a story about God's provision. Wine was essential to a wedding. To run out of wine is a disaster. The people organizing the wedding would have been embarrassed. The family would have been embarrassed. The couple would have been embarrassed. And yet Jesus miraculously provides for them. 
The one who was in the beginning with God, the word of God, who spoke and creation exploded into being, takes water and turns it into wine. And he doesn't just provide a few bottles of the stuff. Jesus was not stingy. He produced 180 gallons of wine. Jesus is like the Moscow City authorities at Christmas with their lights. They don't say we need some festive lights, so we'll put a light here and a light there. They plaster the place with lights. And Jesus did it for a local girl and a local boy at their wedding. God cares for us, each of us, even if we know that we are even if we know we're not important. He does provide for us, maybe not as dramatically as this, but he gives us what we need. No, more than that, he gives us more than what we need. He fills us with joy. I do hope that you can think of times when God has provided for you. I'm meaning more than simply in providing us with life, with this world, with food and clothing, with each other, with the gifts of laughter and happiness, Uh, and music and beauty. As believers, he's given us forgiveness, his presence, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise that he will be with us, that he will, uh, uh, and the promise that we'll be transformed into the image of Jesus. He's given us new desires to come and live in us, which go along with the old desires and the new desires if we let them start to subvert and transform the old desires. But here he does provide wine. It's solid and material. Uh, And God does provide for us. We pray, give us today our daily bread. He provides for us what we need. Let me give just one personal illustration. (coughs) In the early 90s, Alison and myself were exploring the possibility of doing Christian work here in Russia. We contacted a number of organizations uh, and nobody really knew of any openings. And then we had a phone call from somebody who said, could you come to a conference that we're holding in Riga? It's in two weeks time. We didn't have the money. I didn't even actually have a passport, but we felt it right to accept. I'd like to say that we prayed, but I'm not even sure we did that. But out of the blue, without us saying anything, someone from the church offered to pray for us, and a friend who worked at the passport office offered to help me get my passport. And today we're thinking about a wedding. Simeon, Olga, God has given to you, Olga, provided for you, Olga, And Olga, God has provided for you, Simeon. Uh, As a 27-year-old, I had never had a girlfriend. It was not a a case of sweet 16 and never being kissed. It was a case of not-so-sweet 27 (laughs) and never being kissed. And I was, as you sort of overdramatically do, resigning myself to the thought that I will never be married, that I would be single and celibate for the rest of my life. And then God provided Alison. 
who is actually the person that I needed, and I pray that I was the person who she needed. I'm very aware that talking like this raises many questions. What about those of you who are single now, whether by choice or by circumstances, and who would dearly love to meet someone, but it hasn't yet happened? Or maybe you have met, and then it's gone all pear-shaped. Does that mean that God has not provided for you? Far from it. First of all, remember that God is in charge of timing. Here, as Giles pointed out on on the Facebook page, in this story, he kept the best till last. But the problem is that often we're blind to what God is providing for us. We have our own agendas, and we don't look to see what he is actually giving us. For instance, our world tells us that we need to have sex if we are to be fully human. That is rubbish. But because of that lie, we downplay so much the importance of platonic friendships. And we treat people who don't have a partner as if they're somehow lacking something when actually the Bible speaks of singleness as a precious gift, possibly more precious than marriage. John Stott, who was a Christian writer, and I think who takes his place as one of the most influential and significant Christian thinkers and pastors of the last 50 or 60 years, was single all his life. He writes... We shall not become a bundle of frustrations and inhibitions if we embrace God's standard, but only if we rebel against it. Christ's yoke is easy, provided that we submit to it. It is possible for human sexual energy to be redirected, sublimated would be the Freudian word, both into affectionate relationships with friends of both sexes and into the loving service of others. Multitudes of Christian singles, both men and women, can testify to this. Alongside, and I think this is important what he next writes, alongside a natural loneliness, accompanied sometimes by acute pain, we can find joyful self-fulfillment in the self-giving service of God and other people. One of the interesting things about this wedding at Cana is that most of the guests would not have known that a miracle had taken place. They had one sort of wine, and then the servants brought some different wine. Yes, it was good wine, very good wine, but probably all they said was, my word, this is good stuff. Where can you get this from? They just took it for granted, assumed it was life. After all, wine is served at weddings, and they were blind to the provision of God. Look again, not at what you don't have, but at what you do have. And I think you may begin to see the abundant, joy-giving provision of God. And secondly, this is a story of God's transformation. Jesus turns water into wine. At a theological level, Jesus is saying, I've come to take purification water 
Pharisaic Judaism with, all, with its laws and its rituals, its do's and its don'ts, and I've come to transform it into utter joy. Jesus does that. He takes the ordinary, the good, and he makes it extraordinary. He takes five stones, those of you who remember the story of David and Goliath, he takes five stones by a brook and he turns them into giant killers and he sets a people free from slavery. He takes five loaves of bread and two fish and he turns them into a meal that feeds 5,000 famished people. And even today, he turns the bread we break into, to use Paul's word, a participation in the body of Christ. He transforms gifts so that they take on a completely new dimension. Someone with an ability to play music begins to see that it is a gift of God and they offer it to him to be used for his service and it is transformed. Someone with the gift of hospitality, they're always inviting people round or, or taking them out for coffee begin to realize that their love of people is a gift from God. And so they offer it to him to be used in his service. And they discover that God opens them up to completely different forms of ministry. And God transforms circumstances. Olga on Facebook wrote how Jesus has turned her salt tears into sweet wine. Jesus can take our pain, our mixed up relationships, our grief, our despair and emptiness and loneliness, and he can transform them into that which brings joy. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we have already been comforted by by God. And Jesus, and I think this is what this is really all about, transforms people. He takes ordinary people, ordinary men and women, girls and boys, and he transforms us into sons and daughters of God. We see that, people who are transformed. I can think of at least four people in this church who I know have been met by Jesus and who would say that they have begun to be transformed in the last year or so. And thirdly, this is a story of God's blessing. Jesus blesses a young couple at their marriage. He not only saves them from embarrassment, but he makes their wedding an event that brings great joy to the guests. They were already happy after the first lot of wine. What state would they be in after the second set of wine? He makes their a wedding an event that has been spoken about for 2,000 years. He makes their wedding an event that points to who Jesus is and what he came to do. Simeon and Olga, forgive me for saying this, but I suspect that people will not be speaking about your wedding in 2,000 years' time. Wouldn't it be great if I got that wrong? <laughs> what we do pray, though, 
is that by the blessing of God, your marriage will bring not only joy to both of you, but also joy to many other people. Your family, your friends, those you meet, those you work with, those you study with, and those among whom you minister. And we pray that by God's blessing, your marriage will be one that points to who Jesus is and to what he came to do. How did all this happen? Why did this wedding become so special? Very simply, it was because two, maybe three, people listened to Mary and did what Jesus said. I'd love to talk about this passage and, and, and the last passage about the role of Mary here. It is absolutely fascinating. But Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And they, even though he told them to do something that was simple, but utter madness, that guaranteed ridicule and instant dismissal, did exactly what he said. They're the heroes of this story. We're not told their names. We're not told what happened to them after this. But they stepped out in faith and put their trust in Jesus' word. We really cannot overestimate the significance of what happens when just one or two believers take God at his word and do what he says especially if it seems foolish or counterintuitive or if it means stepping out in faith. It might be something big like moving countries or beginning a new work or making the decision to get married. Or it might be something small like submitting to God's will for our life willingly, like praying for someone who we don't like like speaking the truth when we've been lying, or simply daily costly obedience. But when we do that, God will be honoured. People will be blessed. And we will know joy.